Romans chapter number 8. I want to start in verse 28. Read on down through the uh, end of the chapter. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say, the, say to these things? If, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Wow. The love of God. What a thought. You know, I don't even know if I've preached on this topic since I've been here, but you know what? It's a powerful one, isn't it? I think this text here it addresses one of the greatest subjects uh, in all of the world, but recorded in all of the Word of God. One of my favorite verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Amen. And I'll tell you, uh, that greatest topic, it is the love of God. And you know what, folks? It really isn't a question about does God love you, but the real question is will you love God? Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended. That means he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, vile, ungodly, unholy sinners, Christ died for us. What a thought. John, 1 John 4, 19, John writes, we love him. Why? Because he first, because he first loved us. You see, God has already demonstrated his love to us and he has made a way in his great love for us that we might be able to love him in return and be adopted into his own family and become as his own children. Wow, what an undeserving thing that is, that we can become children of the king. And yet that's exactly what God offers. You know, none of us deserve this. We start out in this world, we're wayward, we're lost, we're sinful and wicked and ungodly and unholy. And yet according to his great love wherewith he loved us, and because of his great goodness and mercy and grace towards us, 
He has provided a way where we who are lost, where we who are way, wayward, where we who are spiritually fatherless and destitute in this world as sinners can become beloved, adopted children of God. In Romans 2, in verse number 4, Paul writes, he writes that it is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Amen. So you see, folks, this, his love was demonstrated when he died on, for us on that old rugged cross. And it is this, this goodness of God that leads us and directs us to repent and to, to turn to him and to trust him as our, our Lord and Savior, that we also might be adopted into the very family of God. Now, it's important for us to remember that although God has demonstrated his love for each of us, many people have chosen to reject and to refuse and to rebel against God, uh, God's good and gracious offer of love and acceptance. And although it's God's desire that, that all men would come to repentance and trust Christ as their Savior and be adopted into his family, God will not force his good and gracious and loving offer on anyone. You see, when it comes to adoption, no one is going to force you. You've got to be willing to be adopted. You see, and I, and I don't know how many, maybe it's not like this in all scenarios, but I have numerous adopted siblings. And I'm going to share with you about that in just a minute. But, you know, the, uh, the truth is that a family may even be a great, wonderful family. They may dearly love a child and sincerely want to adopt that child, but that child still has a choice. Will I let that family love me? Will I let that family adopt me? Will I receive that love and love them in return, or will I reject that love and continue on my own as a vagrant, uh, a vagabond, a, uh, an orphan, a, a, uh, a child with no parents? As I shared with you, I personally have numerous adopted siblings. And I can remember as a little boy going before that judge and he would ask me and my parents, were we willing to adopt them? Did we want to adopt them? Even as, I don't know, I must have been five or six years old. He even asked me, did I want to adopt them? And of course, even at that age, I heckled my sister about it. But of course, I said yes. But you know what struck me, and I've never forgot, is as he went down asking each of us, did we want to adopt this child? He then turned to the child, and he asked them if they wanted to be adopted. You see, they each had to choose to receive that love and to receive that adoption. And so likewise with the Lord. We, we can only choose to love him, folks, because he first loved us, but still, that love, that adoption, that goodness, it's got to be chosen. It's got to be received. Otherwise, we continue through life as a wayward, lost, fatherless child. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And although Christ died for all men, it's that, that death, that that path to heaven, that path to a relationship with God, it's not yours until you receive it. 
Now, the truth is that once we've allowed the goodness of God to lead us and to draw us to repentance, we have chosen to receive him and his wonderful offer of love and adoption, then I become his, yeah. and he becomes mine. And listen, folks, at that stage, you know what? We get to enjoy his love on a whole different level. Because the love of, of the love of God, think about this love of God just heard about and known about. It's wonderful in itself, but the love of God received into your own life and, and personally experienced, it's beyond comprehension. Because you know you don't deserve it. Truly, his love, which I now enjoy as one of his adopted sons, is it's wonderful. It's amazing. I got to thinking about this, and you know what's the difference? It's the difference between those orphans in that orphanage in Ukraine and the children in my home. Those orphans knew that we loved them, I'm sure. They knew that we cared and were compassionate. We would bring boxes full of apples and uh, ice cream bars and different things to be a blessing and a help to them. They could see that we genuinely loved and cared. They could see that we had compassion, but they were never received into my home. And so all they knew is that here was this kindness and love of this generous guy over here that would come in and talk to me about Jesus every so often. But they never received or experienced the daily love of a father that lives with and abides with and tenderly deals with and cares for his own children. There's a difference, isn't there? I know how many out there today, they know about the love of God, but they don't know it personally. And I'll tell you what is so much different to have that, that love as a father with a child. It's kind of like Mephibosheth, right? Y'all know the full story of Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan. And David was saying, well, who is there of the son of Jonathan, of the, of the, of the, of the son of the, the king of Saul and Jonathan that I can show kindness to? This one son had been dropped as a child and became lame on his feet as they were running out as the kingdom was changing hands. And he said, well, there is this one son of Saul. Jonathan was uh, son of Jonathan, this this Jonathan was David's best of friends. And, Jonathan, and David said, boy, I want to show kindness to him. Amen. I want to show love to him. Now, I'm sure that probably there were many days that Mephibosheth wondered in his mind and reflected in his mind about the love that David had for his father, Jonathan. And he probably thought to himself, wow, how wonderful that must be. David must be such a great guy. How loving, how kind he was to my father and what great love and friendship they had together. But on that day when he entered the king's house, he found love on a whole different level. Right. Because the king looked down at him and said, Mephibosheth, you may be crippled, you may be worthless, you may not be able to do anything for yourself, but I'm going to love you and I'm going to let you sit at my table continually and I'm going to let you be as one of my sons. Amen. Amen. And you will dwell at my table continually. Wow. The difference between just knowing about the love 
and experiencing it as a child with a father. Boy, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? Truly, what a blessing it is not just to be aware of God's love, but to know it and to experience it as a son with his father. In this text, Paul tries to convey to us the great blessings of knowing his love as a son. That's what we're talking about today, knowing his love as a son. And he does this by asking us five different questions. And so we're going to just go down one by one through each of these questions. And I want us to think about all that this means about what we have in God, what we have in Jesus because of the great love wherewith he has loved us. As I go down through this, maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, you know what? I can, I've heard about it. I know about it. I see how wonderful it is. I want it as well. Well, I hope that if that's you today, you won't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Because God wants you to be his child as well. He wants you not just to know about his love like many do, but to experience it as a father with a child. Notice today, first of all, I see here, the first question I see here in verse number 31 is who can be against us? Look with me at verse number 31 if you would. What shall we say? Uh, what, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now we might get to thinking about that. We might say, well, you know what? It sure seems like there's a whole lot against us. <laughs> It sure seems like sometimes that everybody's throwing rocks at the church, even people that claim to be Christians. And sometimes it seems like the whole world is against us. Yet if God be for us, who can be against us? You see, think about this now, friend. As a child of the king, the whole world can rage against us, and yet I have confidence because I have an almighty father. Amen and amen. And we are victorious because he's victorious. Amen. It was his demonstration of love on that old rugged cross that enabled me to enter his family, to be also, to be put on the winning side, to be put on the winning column, so to speak, permanently. Amen. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave Amen. and granted us wonderful victory. So listen, my friend, the attitude of the son is, you know what, if dad's on my side, who can be against us? Wow. You ever seen a kid take his dad out of the ball field sometime? I've seen kids do this before, and they got a whole pile of kids out there, and the kid goes, okay, dad, me and you versus them. I mean, there could be a hundred kids out there, but the kid in his mind is thinking, me and dad versus all them, we've got it made, we're going to win the game. And you know what? With an earthly father, you may not win the game. <laughs> but with a heavenly father, an almighty father, let me tell you, friend, we will never lose the game. Let me tell you, friend, there's, there's no giant too tall, amen, as David proved. There's no mountain so high and so difficult as Caleb proved. He said, give me that mountain and give me the one that's covered with giants, amen. There's no enemy too great. As Elisha and his servant proved, they were surrounded by the enemy and God 
Elisha said, oh, God, open his eyes. And he opened up his eyes. It seemed like they were beyond victory. It seemed like there was no chance for them. As the man's eyes were opened, he saw the hills full of chariots of fire. He found out real quick he was on the winning side, didn't he not? You see, I am a beloved son of the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. And if he is mine and I am his, I need not worry, for the battle is the Lord's. It's his, it's not mine. It's daddy's, and daddy's in control. Abba, Father. You know what? He can handle it a whole lot better than you can, friend. You just think about it if you've had a loving dad. Difficult situations come to your family, and what do you do? You let daddy deal with it, right? I can remember growing up, I praise the Lord, I have a wonderful father, and, uh, and I'm so thankful uh, for him and what he's, he's been uh, to me as a, as a son. But when difficult times came, you know what? I didn't have to bear that, because you know what my dad did. And you know what? I didn't have to worry about that, because I knew that I was in my father's house and my father would take care of it all. Listen, think about this, friend. Uh, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. And the answer is no one, nobody. Yeah, amen. Because we're on the winning side, amen? amen? For I am his and he is mine and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And yes, praise God, he loves even me. Amen. He loves even me. Truly, what a blessing it is to know the love uh, of God as a father with a son. And we get that wonderful privilege as a Christian because it says as many as received him to then give you the power to become the sons of God. If you've had that experience in your life where you generally not have prayed some prayer or done some religious thing, but if you have genuinely from your heart repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and what he did on that old rugged cross and Jesus moved into your heart and took control of your life and you were born again into the family of God, listen, you're going to do daddy now. You're not of your daddy the devil any longer, but your daddy is... Is a heavenly father, amen. And listen, he cares for his children, amen. Who can be against us? I'm on daddy's side. And I'm on the winning team, amen. The question he asked first, who can be against us? Question number two. How shall he not freely give us all things? Look at verse number 32. You know, first of all, we worry about situations, right? But if God be for us, who can be against us? Secondly, we oftentimes worry about our provision and our, how we're going to be taken care of in certain circumstances. But number two, he says, he that spared not, think about this, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wow. Think about that for just a moment. God the Father gave God the Son on that old rugged cross because in love he wanted you to also be his son. 
And if he loves us with such great love, how could we ever think that he would neglect to hear our cries and to meet our needs? Truly, we have a Father in heaven which desires to freely give us all things and to meet our every need. He is a loving Father, and as the Bible says, He giveth good gifts, and He hears, and He answers the cries of His people. Now, I know that I don't even remotely compare to our Heavenly Father, to our God in Heaven, but as an earthly father, I know that I love my children dearly, and I would freely and willingly meet their needs um, to make sure that they're cared for, to make sure they're protected, to make sure that everything's taken care of for them. Why? Because they're mine. And I love them. Think about that in the relation to God. Would he not take care of your needs? Would he not, would he not care for you? Would he not protect you? Right. Because you are his and you belong to him if you've trusted him as your Lord and your Savior. And we think about this and you think if an earthly dad can love his kids that way, just think of how much infinitely greater our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us with an everlasting love. Truly, I think we each can proclaim no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Amen. Amen. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Who can be against us? No one if God's on our side. How shall he not freely give us all things? I need not worry. God will take care of me. Number three. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That word elect is just referring to those who are truly saved. Verse 33, it says this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now it's interesting that from a spiritual standpoint, we are not only fatherless, but we are fatherless, law-breaking criminals in the eyes of God when we start out in this world. And that, that gives our adoption a whole new meaning. Who wants to adopt a criminal? Right? Now think about that. But that was the case in our lives before we got adopted into the family of God. If we've had such an adoption. And there would be many reasons that the accuser could rise up and lay charges against us when we were such law-breaking street kids, so to speak. <laughs> but when I trusted Christ, when I received his love and his sonship, when I chose to repent and, and turn my life over to him to let him be my Lord and my Savior, listen, folks, I received shelter under his wings. I received shelter in his arms. I received shelter behind the blood of Jesus. Amen. And there may be many accusations against us that the devil can throw against us and say, well, they did that. And they had done that. But God says, no, they're under my wing now. I've taken care of that. I took care of that on an old rugged cross through the blood of my dear son. And I praise the Lord that when he receives us into his family, think about this now. He not only makes us his child, but he also pays our debts right. 
and clears our record and washes it white as snow so we can become his child. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve it. Boy, what great love he's loved me with. So now, through him, praise God, although I was a law-breaking criminal, now I am justified in the sight of God. Praise be the Lord. He is my strong power. Amen. And in him, no man can lay anything to my charge because, listen folks, in and through him, I am not only a son, but I am a justified son. Praise God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No one. Because in Jesus, I am safe from the charges and the accusations uh, that my sin would bring against me. Praise the Lord. He spares me from that. He shelters me under his wings. He shelters me in his arms. He shelters me behind his blood. Even though I really don't deserve it. Who can be against us? How shall he not freely give us all things? All these questions are helping us to comprehend the love of God for us when we become his children. Right. How shall he not freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, God's children? And who is he that condemneth? Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather than is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Listen, friend, Christ is the only one who has the power to condemn. For he died for your sins and for mine. He died for the sins of the whole world. And so he alone has the power to condemn for sin. And you know what? He's not going to condemn his own, is he? He'll not condemn his children. Especially when he knows that he paid for their redemption in his very own blood. Amen. Amen. You see, the lost man is under condemnation right now at this very present moment. The Bible tells us that. It makes it abundantly clear in John 3 and verse 18. In fact, let's read that real quick. John 3 verse number 18. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then in verse 36 of the same chapter, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, the lost man is under condemnation right now at this present moment. If he dies, he's going to lift up his eyes in hell. Because he's refused to turn his life over to Jesus Christ, to repent, to turn to him and trust him and receive him as Lord and Savior and Heavenly Father. And so all his sins are laid to his own account, are laid to his own charge and growing larger every single day. And he is condemned. He's doomed to hell. Condemned already. It's like a man on death row. He's not been, 
He's not been executed yet, but he's awaiting the day. That's what the lost man is like in this world. Condemned already, waiting the execution day. For the man has no intercessor. He has, for he has refused to repent and receive the goodness and love of God that God has extended to him from an old rugged cross. But you know what, folks? I'm so glad. I am so very glad for me. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. No condemnation. It's written all over my life. And I don't deserve it. But that's what I get as a child of the King. For I have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And I've been adopted as a child of the King. And so who is he that condemneth? Is there any man that can condemn the Christian? I think we've got to shake our head no. Jesus took care of that on Calvary. It makes me think of when I considered this thought. It reminds me of the woman that was caught in adultery and they all wanted Jesus to stone her. Jesus just started writing in the sand. I, I, I imagine maybe he was writing each of their sins because they wanted to cast the stones to murder, to, to, to execute her. At the end of that story, he looks at this woman and he tells her, where are thy, there are thine accusers? Is there any man that condemns thee? And she says, no man, sir. And he says, go and sin no more. Think about that. Is that not how Christ has interacted with us? Right. We were guilty. We were deserving of condemnation. We were, we were deserving of punishment. And listen, when Christ came and Christ met us, he said, where are thine accusers? Hey, listen, where are those that will condemn me? And, and we've got to say, no man, Lord. You took care of that. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. Listen, when Jesus died on the old rugged cross, when that blood was shed and that penalty was paid, listen, he cried out, it is finished. Amen. And he once and all, for all, he settled it all. Amen. Praise the Lord. As a son, I have that. Who is he that condemneth? No man. No man, because I'm saved through the blood. I'm justified through the blood of the Lamb. So the questions that compel us to understand the love of God for us as sons. Who can be against us? How shall he not freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? And number five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Read verse 33 through 39 with me if you would please. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is God that justifieth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, he that is rather, uh, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. That last question, I think, must be the most powerful of all. Is there anything, is there anyone that can separate me from the love of my adopted daddy? Is there anyone that can do that? Could someone ever rob me of the love of God? Could someone ever lock me away from the love of God? Could someone ever persecute me and separate me from his love or even kill me and separate me from his love? The answer is absolutely not. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. Nothing and no one can separate me from the love of God. As one of his dear children, I can confidently say nothing can separate me from the love of my Savior of my Redeemer, and of my Father, which art in heaven. I am in his hand, and no one and nothing can pluck me out. Amen. Sealed unto the day of redemption, that's what the Bible says. And all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out, praise the Lord. You see, truly the love of God for his adopted children, it is beyond amazing. But I wonder today, as we've considered this, do you know for sure that you have become his child? Do you know for sure that you have joined the family of God? Have you allowed the love and the goodness of God to show to you, shown to you on that old rugged cross to bring you to repentance that you might trust him and receive him as your Lord and your Savior? If not, why not today? The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. Why would you not want that? I wouldn't really know. Because there's no greater thing than to know that I am a child of the king. Yeah. I'm a child of God. And he loves me. He loves me so much. He loves me as a father dearly loves his only son. Thank you, Lord. Let's all now stand to our feet as we finish the service today. Have the pianist come to the piano. The Lord spoke into your heart. The altar is open. Maybe you want to just come and thank God for the wonderful love of God that has been demonstrated and commended towards you. And you just want to praise him. You just want to thank him. You want to just tell him, so. thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for being my heavenly father. The altar is open. As the, as the piano plays, if the Lord spoke into your heart, you want to come down and pray today. Uh, you come and pray. Boy, I'll tell you what, truly what a great thing it is to know that we possess the love of God and He is our Heavenly Father. But I wonder today, maybe there's someone here today that would say, Preacher, you know, the message spoke to my heart, but it's not, didn't speak to my heart because I know God is my Father, but because I don't know Him that way. I really don't know for sure that I've received Christ as my Savior. I really don't know for sure that... I've come to know the love of God in a personal way and trust in Him as my personal Savior. 
Is there anyone like that here today that could raise their hand and say, Preacher, please pray for me. I've never given my life to Christ. I've never been born again into the family of God. I've never repented and trust Him that I might become His child. Is there anyone like that here today that would slip their hand up and say, Please pray for me, Preacher? see any hand, but God knows your heart, and listen, you don't need this church or this service to get saved, but you do need the Lord, and you need to give your life to Him. So if the Lord's dealing with you, I pray that you won't put it off for a better day. Christian, if the Lord spoke into your heart, you come and pray, and just thank Him for His great goodness, His great love for when He loved us. The altar is open.